Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And for those of you that are traveling, please, please be patient, be kind, be understanding, um, and just be safe. Uh, you know, just keep an eye out on you, your your family, your loved ones, and the possessions, but please keep, keep it in the right order. Possessions can be replaced. Family cannot. Friends cannot. Uh, so anyway, hope you all are having a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Um, unfortunately, uh, we are going to talk about an issue that needs attention because uh, we ha- we're having too much of it in this country, and we need to figure out why. But before we get to uh, a person that has some expertise in that, we're going to take a little time to do some prayer. And we have uh, Dr. and Reverend Charles Blackman with us this morning to kind of give us some insight in terms of how we handle situations like this and then kind of lead us in some prayer. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful this morning, Lady G. Thank God for you. Thank God for this day that the Lord has made, and he said, let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're just so glad Amen. to be a part of you on this show once again. Amen. So you want to maybe start us off with a little spiritual nourishment and comfort, and then um, I want to ask you, uh, dear, what is going on? And, and I guess what I want to know is where is our moral compass when it comes to dealing with uh, these types of issues, gun violence and whatnot? So. So please go ahead. Okay, let us take a vote of a grace to seek God in this uh, really, really uh, desperate situation. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, here we come today, coming before you. Lord, there's no other help we have that we can call upon like you. You declared in your word that you are very present help in a time of trouble, in a time of need. Father, we're in trouble. We're in need. Lives are constantly being thrown away and tossed to the side. Lord, we ask you right now to guide us in this situation. Give us wisdom in this situation. Direct us, Lord. We know your grace and mercy continue to be extended to us. But, Father, we need your direction on what we can do. Father, we pray now for those that are been victims of this gun violence, Lord. We pray for their families on both sides, those that are offended and those that have done the offense because they're your people. God, we ask now, God, would you let your mercy and grace be upon them, touch their hearts, give them the peace and strength they need to maneuver through this 
desperate time in their lives. We know that you are able to do it, God. We thank you right now for the opportunity to come before your grace. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise, Amen. Praise God. Uh, earlier when you talked with me a little bit about this topic, and uh, I felt really delighted to hear about it because it's something that we really need to do. Uh, now that we're at the place, for those that are here, there's prayer has to come into place. We got to pray for the, these people that are victims of this. We have to give them words of encouragement. So often when when things like this happen, Lady G, we begin to point fingers. We begin I've injured you can't deal in a Colorado nightclub. Country, um, and, and I think you have to. Pick, <laughs> people are picking and choosing in terms of how we're having disagreement. You know, but it's how we this deal is one with of those them. cases where we're not. And we're doing now an that awful job. We've lost and then the uh, you know, particularly in minority communities and more specifically in African American communities, we suffer the greatest. Anyway, Reverend Blackman, are you back? Life is precious. Life okay, is so, so hopefully we'll, ha- and we'll we have him back with us soon. But we are coming up. Life. We are going to have some to talk about this. He's actually focused on uh, gun be. violence. They're a part of be. a group because that God, is, is doing something in their region with regards to I, gun I, I violence. And she's one of the people that are part of this panel. But she also has done research on African American men and gun violence. So we're going to have her on soon, but we're going to take a quick break right now. If you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. That is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served honoring all religions and faiths. We have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. We'll be right back.
can you are available now? The internet was going in and out. Hi there, welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, you have questions or comments. If you've been in a situation where there's been gun violence or you know somebody that has, if you've lost someone, we'd like to get your response. The number is 516-387-1944. That is 516-387-1944. I'm not sure if you can hear me or um, I got a text from um, Reverend Blackman to see if I was still on. So I'm, I've just been talking. I don't know if you can hear me or not. Um, and so I'm checking to see what our technical You're loud and clear. are to see whether it's me or if something else. But um, anyway, like I said, at 11.40, which actually should be now, we, we have uh, Dr. Nasa Baker, who is uh, an expert on gun violence. Good morning. Are, are you there, Dr. Baker? I'm here. I'm here. How are okay. you this morning? Hello? Again, I'm going to try to take a break, and I'm going to actually disconnect and try to call back in to see what the problem is. So this is G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. Uh, You may know me as Timmy G. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the art with you, and I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's Chill Out Jazz, the soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on KHAM Radio. Are you chilling? Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time, and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. I have to apologize for our technical issues this morning. Not sure um, what what in they they are, but we are trying to get them resolved. But in the meantime, like I said, we want to again thank thank, um, Reverend Blackman for uh, being with us this morning and starting us off with uh, prayer. And and, um, we're going to get him back on um, uh, hopefully this Wednesday, but we'll talk more about that later. But in the meantime, uh, I was looking to see if Dr. Baker is on with us this morning. I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Dr. Baker. How are you? I'm good in yourself. Doing well. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you. Can you uh, tell our audience um, what your role is? I I came across your name uh, as part of a group that deals with regional gun violence. And so can you tell me yes. how you got focused on that particular um, issue? Sure. So at the time when I started my PhD program, so let me just back up and say, currently I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the New Jersey Gun Violence Research Center, which is through the Rutgers School of Public Health. So <clears throat> around 2018, I was thinking of different mm-hmm. topics I needed to write about 
for a dissertation. And at that time, I thought I wanted to do something about trauma, resilience, and youth in the city of Newark. But I stumbled upon a trauma surgeon who had this really cool program that's based in the hospital, what we call hospital violence intervention program, or what we call them as HVIPs. And she said, I have this program and we need some qualitative data, which would entail me interviewing some of the participants in the program. So from that point on, developing that relationship since 2018, I just became engulfed in this world of not just firearm violence, but specifically around firearm violence affecting or impacting black male survivors. So what what did you what did you come up with through your research? So just on a broader scene, we know that black men or young black men between the ages of 15 and 35, and I would even say up to 40 and 44, are disproportionately impacted by firearm violence. And they we find that a lot of researchers tend to focus on the homicide aspect, so those who have already succumbed to their injuries. But at the time when I was doing my research, I found that there was a 10-year gap in literature and uh, research in general on what about those who survive? We tend to neglect this whole population. And what a lot of people in the public don't know is that one in five people succumb to their injuries when it's uh, via firearms. So that means four of those people are actually living. Now, in terms of their recovery process, it vastly differs due to injuries. But what I found is that um, a lot of people were not, uh, it wasn't gun, it wasn't gang related. Uh, a lot of times it was wrong place, wrong time, old beef from back in the day. Um, found that a lot of people are dealing, or particularly black men, are dealing with severe injuries. So out of the population that I interviewed, a very small portion were able to gain employment and work, and the majority of them were not able to because of the injuries that they were suffering with. So, so with this information, how do we proceed in terms of making uh, these sort of situations, well, I guess decreasing these sort of situations? What, how, how does this research help move forward? So in terms of the research aspect for myself, I personally put the voices of those who are impacted to the forefront of my research. So I let them tell their stories. So we... Um, I'm not sure if you are a lot of the public knows that uh, President Biden invested $5 billion into community violence intervention strategies. And again, the, one of those strategies that I particularly focus on are the hospital-based ones. So what we need is investment in these particular programs because once someone is shot, they do go to the hospital and we want to make sure that credible messengers are catching them right as they're entering in the hospital or as an inpatient because of those injuries to further prevent retaliation once they are discharged from the hospital. So can you share, for example, you talk about the stories. Can you share any of the stories? I mean, you don't have to name names, but any of the stories that may have impacted you the most? So I believe all of the stories impact. When you're, when you're a qualitative researcher, 
and you're getting stories from individuals who have survived um, extreme um, incidents, it, it will always impact you. For example, I had interviewed a 21-year-old who is in a motorized wheelchair for the rest of his life. Um, and from that point on, like, he was able to walk between the ages of, like, 1 and 20, but now he has to adapt to this new life of being confined to a wheelchair, right? And when you're confined to a motorized wheelchair, which is particularly big in size, it limits where you can actually go. So for someone, for this particular person, he was involved in street life. Um, it makes him even more vulnerable if he does go outside because he has no way of protecting himself. There's no safety boundaries because you're bound to this wheelchair. That's hard. And it's different, you know, learning as an adult because you've already learned a certain lifestyle. You know, mm-hmm. if you were younger and learning it, it's already, already by the time you get, get to be an adult, it's already, for the most part, become, you know, a part of your daily life, and you kind of exactly. already know how to adjust. You know, so. Yeah. All right. But, okay, so you said that, you know, we need more. Or is it that we need more funds? What is it that we need more of? So, one, we need not just funding, but we need, on top of sustainability of programs, we need buy-in. So when we're talking about hospital-based programs, depending on the top of the type of hospital-based programs we have, we need buy-in from not just the community and active participants in the program, but we need buy-in from hospital administration. Although these programs are connected via hospitals, again, a lot of these hospitals a lot of the programs aren't based in hospitals. For example, we have an HVIP in Camden that is more community-based, and it's hospital-linked. So we have Cooper Hospital that assists because of uh, the Level 1 Trauma Center that assists with the program, but we have the community-based organization running it. And we have other hospitals where it's implanted in the hospital, but because the financial aspect of, okay, so how does this program help the hospital? We don't have a lot of research and information on that, so it's hard to have buy-in when you just don't know if the dollars are making sense uh, from an administrative standpoint. But on a community standpoint, when you're working with this population on a daily basis, it does make sense. Okay. So do you have any of the people that, you have um, con- been in contact with, uh, for example, and I'm just using that example because you gave me that, the uh, gentleman that is now uh, motorized wheelchair-bound um, for the rest of his life. Um, do these people, are they willing to come forward? Because sometimes, yeah, it's good to have the numbers, the backup stuff, but sometimes people need to see the 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 stories. People see, need to see, have, you know, we're, we're, you know, very much visual. So sometimes people yeah. need to actually see someone who has been a victim of this type of gun violence in order to say, okay, I got it. This is what I can do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mm-hmm. think it's very individualized. It, it all, it all depends, right, on what the culture 
looks like. So back in the 90s, early 2000s, when we were talking about a lot of gang violence, you had former gang members that were injured, uh, that were willing to come forward to talk about their injuries and a street life and, you know, to get out of it. Nowadays, it's a little bit different because violence doesn't look the same in every city across the U.S. It looks vastly right. different. Um, although the numbers are up in major metropolitan cities. Again, I think it just depends on, one, if the individual is comfortable, and two, what, if the person wants it to be known that they're still alive. Okay. So what, when you talk about the buy-in, um, the community, let's talk about the community um, how can members of the community buy in? What what do let's say someone like me? How can I help? Mm-hmm. What can I do? So what we try to do is try to hire. And although I don't work for a particular program, a lot of these programs hire credible messengers. So meaning okay. that it's not just any community member. It's a community member that knows the area well in addition to probably having the same life experience. So they may have been shot or assaulted or stabbed of some sort. So they're able to connect with someone that they want to be a part of the program that comes into the hospital or even that they might uh, see on the streets because we also have a, we also have a population called treat and release because they, although they're injured, their injuries do not require them to be uh, inpatients in the hospital. So in terms of community buy-in, we just have to let the community see for themselves based on numbers and stories that these programs are actually working. So we're seeing a decrease in retaliatory efforts. So if someone is coming in, the, the credible messengers that are part of these particular programs are able to get through to the individual to not want to go out and, you know, perpetuate the cycle of violence against the person that they may know uh, that has harmed them. Okay, so someone like me wouldn't necessarily be um, as influential as someone that has faced, if I I featured someone who has, has faced the situation head on, and, and can talk to, and can tell their story and relate to people in the community, right? So there's nothing that I can, I personally can do except for maybe bring someone in that can say, hey, yes, this is, this is, let me tell you my story. Let me, uh, and let me tell you how I came out on the other side, right? Yes. So a lot of being able to relate, to connect is really important. Uh, when we're talking about firearm violence survivors, particularly among black men in urban spaces. Okay. So what the next buy-in I want to ask about is uh, the medical community. Um, you know, it's, did, did we, in terms of getting them past uh, statistics and, and getting them, I guess, more in tune with these victims. What mm-hmm. what do they need to do? So really what hospital administrators would like to see is a cost analysis. So if we're looking at the program, if we're looking at 
who were coming, the individuals coming into the hospital before there was a program versus during the program? Are they seeing numbers going down in terms of utilization? Are they seeing recidivism rates going down? Because what mm-hmm. what tends to happen is is somebody can be, for example, I had a few older men that I interviewed, and they told me that this wasn't their first firearm violence, and uh, so they were injured previously, whether it was years mm-hmm. before or more recent. What we want to see is that, okay, if you come into this hospital, we need to see that the dollars are saying, okay, you're not going to come back into the hospital. So we want to cut down on people coming back, needing resources, but also understanding that most black men that are coming in with firearm injuries do not have employer-based insurance. They're using Medicaid dollars or if any insurance, if they have any. So I know we're talking about specifically the African-American community, but let me ask you, and have, well, in your research, maybe you've, come across any of this our country seems to have a problem not just our a specific community but our country seems to have a problem in comparison with some other countries in your mm-hmm. opinion what do you why do you think that is and what how do how do we address that so what we know is that firearm injuries or violence tends to be more frequent in places where people have easy access to firearms. And a lot of people will come and ask me about the U.S. in general when we have to understand that the U.S., we have in our Constitution the right to bear arms. We have to look at this at a state level. Every state is different. Um, So we have to really examine what are our laws, our gun laws, within Florida, within New Jersey, within California, Texas, Mississippi. Uh, For example, we know that Mississippi has the least restrictive of firearm laws in the country, but they also have one of the highest um, firearm deaths in the country as well. But if when you're looking at a state like New Jersey, we have one of the most restrictive um, firearm laws in the country. Now, again, with the New Jersey, we do have isolated cities that have an increase in violence. But again, we have to look at this on a state-by-state level. It's just hard to look at this at, on a U.S. level, despite guns being deeply ingrained in the American society. And I understand that it's a part of the nation's political debate. But again, it's all about access. Okay, so um, I need to ask you about other, I guess you should say, outside influences, and and one of those is um, alcohol. Um, Have you studied at all the connection between that? And the reason I'm asking that now, because uh, I just had an alert pop up where a a man at a bar (laughs) lost his keys and got upset with people and supposedly fired his handgun. It's just amazing to me how people just lose any type of, of you know, logic when alcohol is involved. Have you, and you know, in our communities where they seem to place a lot of, you know, bars and whatnot, do you think that that has 
more of an impact? So <clears throat> I can't say that there's a relationship between um, guns and alcohol, but what I can say is that at that point we have to look at what are carrying laws. So although someone gets drunk, what does that particular state say about carrying firearms? What does that particular mm-hmm. state say about securing firearms in safe locations? Is there, do you need a permit to carry? What is What, is, what do those laws look like in that particular state? Mm-hmm. What about the argument, and I know you have to go soon, so just let me know when you've got to cut off, but... <clears throat> But what what do you say when someone brings up the argument about the right to carry, the right to bear arms? Um, it's it's already in the Constitution. I'm, I'm sure that's that's mm-hmm. something that comes up. Um, what what have you learned with regards to that? How do we deal with that? So I think it's more so again. It's not just about the right to bear arms. It's about why Americans are choosing a particular right to bear arms. And what we've seen from the 90s until now is that uh, gun ownership has moved from the use for the use of recreational sports such as hunting to protection of self, family, and property. So we're seeing this movement of right to bear arms because people are personally afraid and want to be sure that they can protect themselves and their loved ones. Okay. Um, So what is it that, you know, when you've gone through this process of researching it and um, encountering these victims and whatnot, what do you want the takeaway to be for someone, let's say, listening to the information that you've just given me? And I know you've got a lot more information, but just on what we've, we've already discussed, what do you want the takeaway to be for those people? So, one, if someone chooses the right to bear arms, I think it's important to keep in mind for safe storage practices, you need people to store guns, firearms of any type safely. Uh, two, sometimes certain firearms, even if it's accessible in your state, are not required to have. For example, I don't believe that people need a shotgun or a rifle unless you're you're hunting of some sort. Now, again, I believe people should have the choice to bear arms. Uh, if they want to. Again, I think it's about being able to practice. Mm -hmm. Most people that have access to firearms do not know Mm -hmm. how to operate a firearm. So if Mm -hmm. we're going to obtain one, there needs to be safe practicing and safe storage practices. Yeah, because isn't there some sort of statistic, and I don't know if you know it or not, um, but that a lot of people end up getting shot with their own firearms? Yes, or children end up um, obtaining access to the firearms, again, because, again, each state is very different on how they require residents to uh, practice safe storage, if any, and where it is particularly stored. So where does your research take you now? Oh, and I I think I had another question. But anyway, I I do want to find out uh, where does your research take you now and how do you you hope your research impacts uh, changes in policy? 
Sure. So for me, my research has gone in a different direction in that I've become interested in black male firearm violence survivors recovery process. Um, I've found that a lot of these men need physical therapy and either aren't obtaining physical therapy or don't have access to it. Uh, A lot of Mm -hmm. them are doing what I call pseudo aging in place because they're returning to communities in which they were harmed after being discharged from the hospital because of lack of funds to be able to move elsewhere despite there being the Victims of Crime Act money. We need to ensure that resources are in place in communities for these, um, for black male firearm violence survivors to obtain, to have a better recovery. So when you talk about the recovery process, does this mean, for example, um, retraining in terms of occupational, mm-hmm. like occupational type therapy? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does this mean in your mind? Both physical, <clears throat> excuse me, and occupational. So really, I would like my, I would like the research that I'm doing to open up. So what I found is that um, a lot of disability departments in each uh, in states, particularly here in New Jersey where I'm located, doesn't uh, talk about people that acquire firearm injuries. And what I've noticed is that uh, men, black men in particular, are stigmatized because of the way they have acquired injuries. So wanting them to have access to meals on wheels. What if you're in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and you live by yourself or you have family members that work that are just unable to cook meals for you or go grocery shopping um, for you or with you Mm -hmm. or being able to access things like access link to get to doctor's appointments to ensure that you're going and receiving follow-up care as instructed by physicians. So um, is this where the, the ADA gets involved or, or, or um, you should engage um, the, the ADA process, American yes. with Disabilities Act? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so anyway, um, I think what I wanted to ask you was, uh, and while your focus is primarily on um, African American men, uh, how does do you think is there's any way that your particular research uh, in dealing with, for example, we've had uh, violence against the, the Asian American community, we, we the we, the recent. Um, incident this weekend in Colorado was against uh, the LGBTQ community. community. Um, mm-hmm. wh- how do you think your research impacts those communities? Well, one, I think that it's important to note that although my research looks at uh, African-American black men, it's not exclusive to sexuality, uh, one. And two, my research is a little bit different than mass shootings. And Mm -hmm. although we could look at, there's really a dearth of research out there on firearm violence in the Asian American Pacific Islander community, although there should be some research emerging for individuals who are interested in researching that particular community, and also firearm violence and the LGBTQIA community as well. So I'm not particularly sure how my research would impact or affect 
what is out in the media in terms of mass shootings against other populations. But I do know that research is soon to come out from some of my colleagues about it. Okay, great. Well, Dr. Baker, thank you for for taking the time with us. You're welcome back anytime, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we're we're sorry that you have to be with us on such a dark topic, but we're hoping that by you exposing, you know, what you know about gun violence and and in particular in the African-American male community that we'll be able to to move forward. So thank you so much. You take care. Thank you for having me. Enjoy your holiday. Thank you. you. Take care. And we are going to take a quick break. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs, owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son, Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good afternoon and welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Have it, Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, Dee. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, it's unfortunate that we have to deal with a subject such as, as gun violence in this country, especially when it comes to African-American men. But the more we are able to learn the more we are able to come to a resolution. At least that's my hope and thought and prayer anyway. Um, if you have a topic that you want to address, the number is 516-387-1944. Uh, did uh, Reverend Blackman uh, ever call back? I don't know why we uh, – I'm sorry about that. Uh, anyway, so what I'm going to do – okay, I heard a noise in the background. Is he did, Gretchen. It's he, did. he did, Gretchen, but okay. he dropped off. He dropped off. Yeah, okay. All right. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> I am good. Thank you for asking. Good. I know you're busy, so I won't keep you. <laughs> Thank you. It's Monday. <laughs> yes, it's Monday. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, that was uh, Princess Cooper, CEO of Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and uh, my technical producer, and uh, just a great person. But Mondays are her busy days, so uh, we will uh, continue to press forward. And actually what we might just do is to go ahead and let you all go because some of you are traveling, some of you are preparing, and some of you are actually still working. I get it. It's a vacation day for me for my other job, and I'm still working but, hey, that's what we got to do. You know, praise God that we got jobs. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for being with us. This has been G's Power Hour. I've never had so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Talk to you tomorrow. We have a chef on tomorrow to talk to you about your Thanksgiving Day delights. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. <laughs>